This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 16, Cautious Speculation. Before we get started, we've got some big announcements. Our first announcement is that at the end of Series 9, the Essential NPCs podcast will be going on a short hiatus uh, in order to give us the best chances of having a very successful Kickstarter for the Manifest RPG. But don't you worry, we will be returning to the air either late April or early May with Series 10. Speaking of Series 10, our second big announcement is that Series 10 is going to be a fan's choice. Uh, So you all get to pick what system we're going to play next. We've done this before for Series 5, and back then it was just a poll because we had only four options. Uh, This time around, though, we've got a lot more options for you to choose from. So we decided to change it up a little bit, and we are going to be doing a Sweet 16 bracket for Essential NPCs Series 10. Included on this bracket are all eight of the systems we've played previously on the Essential NPCs podcast, including Dungeons & Dragons, Shadowrun, Uncharted Worlds, Tephra, Atomic Highway, Seventh Sea, Star Wars, and Manifest. And in the Sweet 16 bracket, they'll all be pitted up against new systems that we haven't played. And the ones that we've selected are Monster of the Week, End of the World, Blades in the Dark, Feng Shui 2, Fate, Leverage, Pulp Cthulhu, and the Age System. So there's a lot of great options out there. You can either vote to revisit a system. If we do so, we will try our best to reassemble the same cast and continue the previously established story from the earlier season. Or you can vote for one of these new systems. And that leads to the question, how do you vote? We're going to plaster the link all over our social media, uh, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, we'll be posting it on our website. Uh, you'll fill out the form every week. We'll remind you, don't worry, and and put in your votes for what you'd most like us to play in that matchup. Chances are, if you're listening to this, the bracket will already be posted on our social media. So feel free to hit pause and go vote now. Otherwise, you do have a week before we close the voting, count the votes, and then announce the next phase, the Elite Eight, moving forward down the bracket. The polls will close Monday the 18th, giving us enough time to sort everything out before we announce who beat who during our announcements next episode on the 19th. Every vote counts, and we want to do what you want to listen to. So make sure you go and vote. And that's all we have for announcements for you guys. Uh, So let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM (laughs) is about Series 9, Episode 15, Birds of a Feather. In this last episode, we see Cyrus in his natural element, wheeling and dealing with a side of grifting. Uh, In the end, he not only convinces Eliza to join the posse's efforts to move against O'Malley, but he also secures a 10% ownership in what may be a very lucrative luminescent mine. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the value of such an investment. 
as I've said before, luminescence is the unique, almost mystical substance that inspired the rushed colonization of the planet of Manifest. It is a hard light substance that can be synthesized into all sorts of sustainable materials and can serve as an almost infinitely renewable energy source. At the beginning of the colonization, luminescence was relatively bountiful. Large veins of it existed near the planet's surface. But, of course, the primary purpose of many of the factory towns at the beginning was to mine and process the large quantities of luminescence they could find. And over the course of the last 400 years, this miracle resource has become more and more rare. That makes the prospect of a mine not only striking luminescence, but finding a large enough vein for a continuous yield pretty spectacular. And the profits one could gain from such an asset are astronomical. So even having just a 10% stake in it is pretty huge. To try to give some perspective to that, I wanted to talk about the buying power of spurs in Manifest. Now, Manifest isn't a planet with a very complex economy. Hell, bartering is still a viable way to acquire goods in many places. However, when I was trying to assign a market value to the items and gear, I tried to use the Old West as my foundational inspiration. One thing I came to learn was the general notion that, in the Wild West, a pistol cost the average person a month's worth of wages. I sort of use this as my touchstone for the value of a spur. The difference is that, being a sci-fi western, the gear, items, and tech available on Man Manifest have a much higher ceiling than just a pistol. I mean, sure, you could spend 20 spurs on a basic straightforward pistol, but you could also spend an additional 30 to 40 spurs tricking out that pistol with all sorts of modifications. And that's not even taking into account the big bill modifications like hard caliber or laser firing. Because of that, a perfect analogy for the value of a spur to, say, a U.S. dollar in the late 1800s or early 1900s doesn't exactly exist, save for the concept that roughly 20 to 25 spurs is what an average person makes per month on Manifest. That means the average person makes about 240 to 300 spurs a year. However, of course, we are aware that there is a pretty massive wage gap. Uh, we see it easily with how wealthy Giles Farthing proved to be. Additionally, work on Manifest is far from consistent for most people. For example, it probably took Clayton a long time to track down and capture Roy, and we know that it took him the better part of two months just to get him from San Cordero to Glenspire. So, sure, turning in Roy is a pretty huge payday, over twice as much as the average person makes in a year, but also he had to put his life on the line so many times, and if Roy hadn't been such a good sport, there's every chance in the world he would have made the trip longer and even more dangerous for Clayton. My point being that most people on Manifest don't even have consistent weekly or daily paying jobs, and those that do probably make up the lower end of the average. So now with that idea of the value of a spur, generally speaking, you can now start to understand how luminescence is incredibly valuable. Cashing in a decent find of luminescence, let's say a few nuggets worth, is likely to be akin to turning in a bounty like Roy Hampton's. To find it would take a significant application of skill and luck, and to successfully capitalize on it would take a large amount of time and risk. Imagine then just how valuable a consistent mine tapped into a large vein of luminescence could be. Cyrus may be a lot of things, but he does follow the path of the peddler, and he clearly knows a good deal when he makes one. But the wheeling and dealing wasn't the only thing that happened in the last episode, so Addy, I want to know what your favorite part was. 
I feel like every time that you ask me this question, my answer is whatever happened in Shoot the Shit. And uh, <laughs> this is no exception. Shoot the Shit is one of my favorite parts of Manifest. And this time I just got a huge kick from Juliet's perspective, her like pseudo son person slash younger version of her husband and her husband sort of like talking. It's like, what are they saying? What are they talking about? Um, and I just, uh, really enjoyed that exchange amongst all the other just really excellent exchanges that were going on. Uh, to me, shoot the shit is just the tops. What about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, my favorite part's pretty easy to pick. It was the reintroduction of Roy Hampton, (laughs) uh, played by Dan Barron. We fully intended to bid Dan Barron adieu at the end of episode 13. Uh, however, as I was planning and plotting this episode, and I knew that I was going to put Roy Hampton there uh, with Eliza Valancourt, I realized that there was kind of a buildup to Roy meeting Cyrus. You know, he was very curious about Juliet and her, and her history with Cyrus. And I, I came to the conclusion that the only person who could really do that exchange justice was Dan himself uh, playing Roy as opposed to me utilizing Roy as a non-player character. So I asked him to reprise his role for one more episode, come in for a little bit uh, before uh, he got sent off on an away mission. <laughs> and most of the cast didn't know that was coming. So it was really fun to kind of jump Dan back into the Skype call as a surprise for everybody and and uh, also to surprise the audience as well. Um, so that was my favorite part, that kind of reveal. Uh, but who knows what this next episode is going to reveal as Roy Hampton has left the party and the four of you are now looking for proof to corroborate Cy- what Cyrus uh, heard and learned when he was a captive of the family uh, so that you may move against Peter O'Malley in the most efficient way. I want to know what's going to happen next. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 16, Cautious Speculation. Enjoy. Greetings. I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar, my Ache. And even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities granting me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle in most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife. But they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty. Leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty. And we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead. Where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. You can call me Pops. Pops Mulligan. I see you're eyeing the preacher's garb. I'll tell you, this trench coat's seen me through more decades than I'd care to admit. I'll never forget the day they put it on me when I graduated seminary. My mother, saint that she was, sent me there to get educated. She spent nearly every spur she had, earned each one by the sweat of her brow cutting ice for Liberty City's well-to-do. I always figured I'd inherit the family business, but when I lost this finger to frostbite, she told me, Eliam, I don't want you working with those hands ever again. You're going to become a preacher. 
Good triptych woman, my mother. She'd have tanned my hide if she'd lived to see me become an undertaker. Still, there's something balanced about working with your hands and your mind in tandem, helping those near to death pass over, laying them to rest with seeds from the tree of life, and tending to them as their spirit makes the air just a little bit easier to breathe. I've been undertaking in Liberty City since, oh, back before the Battle of Waypoint. Back then I was still a husband and a father. My son grew up to be an executive in the business sector. I never really did understand his job exactly. Buried him just a couple of years back. I aim to make the man who put him in the ground hurt. I'm rambling, I can tell. <laughs> the trademark of being an old man, he just never seemed to be able to keep quiet. Alana's blessings to your friend. My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Step right up, folks. Take a gander. Don't shove. You can call me Dr. Cyrus Finch, because that's the name on the medical license. I've got the miracle tonics you need to cure the ailments you don't, all available at a rate you can afford. Trust me, I've crossed every mile of manifest solving all manner of problems, from gangrene to gang wars. It's almost uncanny how I manage to find trouble every single place I go. But that's what I got my wife for. She's a real pistol, in more ways than one. Any problem I can't solve, she'll, well, she'll put a bullet in it. We're an unlikely pair, certainly, but we fell in love seeking a cure for that age-old plague of manifest. Drifterism. Maybe I'll even kick the habit myself one day. But until then, I got a two-for-one special on vials of Doc Cyrus's analeptic hoop snake oil elixir. For you, only five spurs. What do you say? The last time we left our drifters, after being reunited with Roy Hampton briefly, Juliet, Clayton, Cyrus, and Pops spoke with Eliza Valancourt convincing her to investigate Cyrus's claims that the mine that she was left by her late father, in fact, has luminescence in it. And her uncle, Nathaniel Valancourt, has been hiding this fact from her while 
working with the family to smuggle the luminescence out and fake the pyrithium yield of the of the mine. They traveled north towards Constance Grove, the town that the mine resides in, and they sent Roy to Liberty City to keep an eye on Peter O'Malley and his operatives so that the rest of the posse knows if and when Peter O'Malley begins moving towards Constance Grove, taking the bait that they are setting for him. The four of you and Eliza approach Constance Grove, crossing over the covered footbridge that leads to the main strip in the middle of the slope. It is late afternoon, and many of the shops are getting ready to close up. And uh, in the middle of the road, just before the walkway that leads up to the mine, there is a 80-foot-tall granite monument with uh, over 100 names carved into it. And uh, as you guys pass by it, uh, Eliza nods to it and goes, that's the Baito monument. About a decade ago, uh, there was an accident in the mine. Uh, It became unstable. The the pyrithium yield was small at best at that time, and uh, roughly 120 miners lost their lives when the Baito chambers collapsed. That's what caused my dad and my father to close down the mine. Well, Pops makes a triangle in the air and says, rest easy, my friends. As your mining consultant, I must ask, what are the dangers of pyrithium mining? I don't know a whole lot, but I, I, I know a little bit from hearing my father uh, uh, talking, especially when he was handling the fallout from the accident. Pyrithium is incredibly dense in its rawest form. It can be used to make lightweight and durable alloys, from my understanding. It's used in a lot of, uh, in a lot of technology and a lot of uh, machinery. But in its raw state, it is incredibly heavy and dense. And if the mine is not properly fortified, it can collapse. As far as I know, that, that's what happened. They, they miscalculated something, I'm not sure. But the loss of life was too great. And my, my father decided he wanted to close the mine then try to continue operating. All right. Well, be warned. The mine still might not be safe. Well, uh, according to my uncle, they're, they're mining somewhere differently. He had tried to convince my, my father to reopen the mine uh, because the township suffered greatly from the closing of it. And after my father's death, my, my uncle told me that the two of them had, had recently hired a surveyor to look into the mine and see if there was any way that it could be opened again safely. And the surveyor found another rich vein of pyrithium in a completely different part of the hill. And, and the mine was able to extend that way. How convenient. I'd like to meet this surveyor. Oh, I, I, I don't know his name, unfortunately. My, my uncle uh, uh, has been managing the mine since I allowed him to reopen it. Uh, I have not been hands-on uh, since then. Uh, but there haven't been any accidents. Uh, none at all. And most of the workers are from, uh, are from out of town. Partially because the, the, most of the local residents who were miners... Uh, perished in the accident, but also uh, to ease the minds of anyone who lived here and witnessed the accident. Anyone who has the skills works in the forges at the base of the slope. And it's actually brought a lot of business into town, what with people coming from, uh, from different settlements to work the mine. Out-of-towners, huh? I wonder if I'd recognize any of them. That does stand to reason. If the family is involved and they are faking the yield of pyrithium, which has been great the past two years... Then there's probably family members working a mine, though. That's surprising. Hey, Juliet, 
Do you still have that disguise? Yes, I do. Here, um, I'll uh, take off the digi disguise necklace and I'll and I'll hold it out to him. I'll I'll take it and put it on. Okay, how do I work this? What do I press? So you got to look at somebody so it can take a picture of them, and then you just push push the other button, and uh, it'll just overlay it on your face. There's a couple pre-programmed faces as well. When you mess with the with the necklace, a little uh, holographic screen pops up in front of your face, and you're able to select uh, another another face for it to create over your own. Ooh, what do you think about him, Juliet? <laughs> His face changes. It's another face. Uh, Does it look good on me? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go with this one then. Don't get used to it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try and keep my head on a swivel as best I can while we're heading into this town, just in case. Okay, Uh, you guys get a couple glances from locals, but no one's really giving you a whole lot of side eye. Um, The street is moderately busy as people are doing their last minute shopping and uh, uh, making their way. A lot of people are making their way towards the saloon. Uh, Eliza leads you up the slope, up a walkway that leads up to the building she identified as her uncle's manor. Asymmetrical red brick building, the only building of such sturdy construction in Constance Grove. Its wide covered porch attaches to a domed gazebo on the right side. And then on the left side of the second story of the building, a tall windowed turret reaches up uh, an extra 20 feet or so with a conal top. And uh, as you guys make your way through the brick archwayed gate uh, on the road leading up to this manor, a well-dressed man um, with, a, with a shotgun steps off from the porch, raises up a hand and says, hold up. Who are you? Uh, as I am, in fact, uh, acting as a bodyguard. Miss Eliza Valancourt, here to see her uncle. He uh, raises an eyebrow, looks, looks, at the, uh, looks at the lot of you and says, Do uh, you have an appointment to meet with the mayor? And Eliza, <laughs> Eliza raises her eyes like, almost like an angered shock and says, Do I need an appointment to visit my uncle? And the... Guard doesn't seem to quite know what to say. He just kind of like is sitting there for a second. And then uh, from inside the house, uh, you hear, Donovan, what are you doing? Don't get out of the way. And uh, the door uh, to the manor opens up and out walks a tall man with a stern square face. Uh, he has short silver white hair that's parted at the side and a short chin curtain beard. And he wears a double-breasted mustard-colored vest, slim slacks, and polished dress shoes. As he walks out uh, uh, and like bats the air to like uh, at uh, this guard and be like, "Just leave them alone. Uh, this is my niece, you damn fool, Eliza. Eliza, what a wonderful surprise!" And Eliza instinctually smiles and uh, and moves forward to hug her uncle and says, "Uncle Nate." It's been too long. I- I'm so sorry to drop in on you with no notice. And he goes, no, 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 no need to apologize. Please, please come here. Uh, and then he shouts uh, into the uh, into the house. Margaret, make us up some tea. And she goes, these are my traveling companions. My bodyguards, Luther Manning and Susanna Knight, gesturing towards Clayton and Juliet. I tip my hat. 
This is Father Raymond Kennedy gesturing towards Pops. And this is Dr. Fabrizio Simpleworth. Mmm, <laughs> yep. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, and Mayor Valancourt nods to you all, and she says, This is my uncle, the illustrious mayor of this lovely settlement, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Valancourt. And he goes, uh, Pleasure to meet all of you, yes. And uh, as you guys make your way into the house, servants shutting the door behind you, uh, you do notice that Nathaniel Valancourt's servants are indentured servants. They all have metal torques around their neck. And um, taking her uncle's arm to as he guides her into a sitting room, uh, Eliza says, Who was that man at the gate, uncle? He had a hard way about, about him. And he goes, Oh, uh, Donovan, did he say something inappropriate to you, dear? She goes, no, 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 nothing so bad as that. He just didn't give the warmest welcome. Like, looking at him like, it's a shame. And uh, he, like, you know, bristles at that and goes, well, I shall have Charlie have a word with him about his demeanor. As you all sit down, the sitting room he's led you into is uh, not as extravagant as Eliza's home, but still very tastefully uh, decorated. It's got a fireplace. It's got a few hunting trophies uh, uh, in the corners and a nice arched window looking to the north, uh, showing the wooded slope of the hillside. And um, a servant walk, uh, walks in, setting a, a tray of tea on the, on the centrally located table. Uh, and then she uh, backs out, uh, averting her gaze and not looking at any of you. Uh, she leaves. Uh, and Eliza grabs a cup of tea and politely takes a sip and sits down. And um, the mayor kind of brushes off his uh, hands a little bit and goes, I am unfortunately very busy today, Elizabeth. Uh, so forgive me for being so direct. But what brings you to visit me today? Is there is there something you need? She goes, well, uh, in fact, uncle, I was hoping to talk some business with you. And he goes, <clears throat> business? Whatever do you mean? Well, as you know, I recently took a vacation to the Badlands. He goes, oh, yes. How was your vacation? Did Mr. Davies take you to the Magistrate Theater in San Cordero? Where is Mr. Davies? I would have expected him to be uh, attending to your security detail. He's still feeling very ill from, the, uh, uh, from his trip to the Badlands. I think he drank some bad water, did a number on his, uh, on his gut. And he goes, oh, uh, uh. And she goes, but he did indeed bring me, uh, take me to the theater as per your recommendation. But I also took some time to visit a handful of Badland settlements while I was there. He goes, no, you didn't. Whatever possessed you to do such a silly thing? And I'll have a word with Mr. Davies about seeing to your safety. And, and the two of you as well. Don't let her, don't, my, my niece here is whimsical. You'll, t you'll come to learn. And she goes, I was perfectly, perfectly safe, uncle. And I met the most fascinating people you wouldn't imagine. In fact, that's what compelled me to visit you today. You see, the, the people there, I've never met more honest and hardworking folk in my life, uncle. It made me really appreciate the benefits of working with your hands, manual labor, you see. And, well, I felt like I'd like to start having more hands-on involvement in some of the business aspects left to me by my father. And what better place to start than with the mine? It's been so successful. I'm sure I can pick it up and, and maybe take some of the burden off your hands so you're a little less busy from day to day. Oh, dear. Uh, uh, Elizabeth. And he uh, sits there for a second nervously and then reaches and pours himself a cup of tea and sips it. And then, like, goes, well, the mine is no place for a woman of your standing. Surely there's 
some other way for you to explore this newfound appreciation for hard work. Less, less dirty jobs, perhaps. Please, uncle, this isn't some whim. I've thought this through. My companions are here to assist me. Raymond Kennedy, a doctor of the Triptych Church, and Fabrizio Simpleworth, uh, a medical man in his own right. They both have extensive knowledge in the, working, uh, uh, the workings of mines and the safety of such things. And I know there hasn't been an accident since the, the Baito chambers collapsed, but I felt that to best serve my safety, why not come with, with medical men who have a working knowledge of the industry to show me around a little bit, and, and that way I'm not distracting any of your own staff. Meanwhile, I've hired two new hands to keep me safe along the way. I... I hope it's not too much trouble, Uncle. I, I, I don't want to inconvenience you looking into my own investment. He goes, no, no, I mean, as you say, it's, it is your property. Uh, uh, you there, um, Simpleworth, Kennedy, well, what information do you have on the mine? I have some papers you might be able to look at. Uh, so it would be incredibly helpful. Uh, and uh, Miss, Val- Miss Valancourt told us you've already had it surveyed, is that correct? Oh, yes, uh, her late father, shortly before he passed, uh, uh, cooperated with me on hiring a uh, hiring a surveyor to to search through the mine and see if there was any safe way for us to open it and possibly avoid such a catastrophe again and and I'm I'm happy to say that that surveyor came came through thoroughly well worth the money I'm ve- I'm very interested uh Dr Fabrizio Simpleworth a uh, pleasure to meet you sir you see just the smile the smallest of grins from Eliza behind her uncle's <laughs> back as you use the fake name she assigned you uh i'm especially interested in the sudden yield and the consistency of yield uh of the pyrithium in this mine whoever your surveyor is i must say he's done a bang-up job and as a man in the industry myself i'd love to know who it is for future reference yes uh, clemens was the name i i forget the first name i i it was a few, a couple years ago, and unfortunately, I had, I had a small house fire at the time, uh, contained, of course, but I did lose some of my paperwork from that specific era. Of course, of course. But uh, uh, I do have uh, the latest projected yields of the mine. I could, I could get those for you, and and I, I, if I, if I remember that first name, I'll be sure to to pass it along to you. Uh, he he was a, a very very skilled man. Came highly recommended. What what was his first name? Uh, if you'd like to see if he is lying to you, you can go ahead and roll uh, discipline or manipulate. Oh, let's let's roll some manipulate. Ooh, I got that twelve high. Uh, you're up against a nine. Uh, I do have one net hit. Uh, yeah, he's obviously nervous. You you skillfully caught as he uh bought himself time by pouring himself a a cup of tea and drinking it so as to come up with what he was going to say. Uh, you can pretty safely guess that the whole house fire thing ate my homework. Uh, <laughs> is just a uh, is uh, a load a load of hodag shit. Um, and, uh, he's very, very nervous, but putting on a a very good show of, of being comfortable, um, with the discussion he's currently having. Judging from the resource estimation and the feasibility study placed upon the mine, it seems to me that there is still a good amount of ore inside that could be processed were we able to, uh, to access it. Do we have the details on the collapse of the mine, its location, its, uh, seriousness? 
Yes, I, I believe there's some reports there. I mean, that, that part of the mine is condemned, and my, my head foreman uh, perhaps has more information. Is Eliza, are you, are you sure this is something you want to do? It's, per, perhaps it's romanticized slightly, the, uh, the hard work of a miner, but it's grueling and, un, and unpleasant work, and I'd, I'd hate for you to go down. And, and she raises her hand and says, Uncle... I've, I had a full checkup with both of these doctors. They both concur that I am healthy enough to enter the mine without any ill adverse to my, uh, Ill adverse to my respiratory system. It will be fine, uncle. And he sits there and goes, okay, okay. I can assure you I myself have, uh, have personally attended to, uh, no less than two pyrithium mines myself. So you, you can trust that I know what I'm talking about and Dr. Simpleworth as well. Okay, so uh, uh, Cyrus has already rolled manipulate. Um, it was to read uh, Nathaniel Valancourt, but we'll let it stand for Cyrus continuing to play this part. How about a manipulate roll from you, Pops, to continue to sell this lie? Uh, you, Eliza, and Cyrus all working together uh, to trick her uncle. Uh, so that is two hits for Pops. He looks at you and Cyrus and Eliza, and he goes, Okay, okay, you you clearly feel very passionately about this, Elizabeth, dear. And after all, it is your property. I have no right to prevent you from, from entering. I, I just hope that you do it as safely as possible. So it's far too late into the day for you to tour the mine now. Uh, I'll speak to the foreman in the morning and arrange for you to be given a tour of the facility before midday. Until then, the four of you make yourself at home. I have... Things I need to attend to, but if you're all willing, I'd love to treat you to a meal this evening. In a home this fine, how could we say no? How indeed. Does this all seem agreeable to you, Elizabeth? Of course, Uncle. Like I said, I don't want to inconvenience you. I'm looking forward to speaking to the foreman as early as possible tomorrow. And uh, he goes, yes, yes, I, I will make it so. And she jumps up off her seat and sets down her tea and is just and is all smiles and goes, this is so exciting. This is the first step onto a larger journey, just like you said, Father, turning to Pops. Indeed. I will have some servants make up rooms for, uh, for the four of you, and, and I will see you at dinner tonight. But I, I must go. I am, I am going to be terribly late for a meeting. She goes, of course, of course, Uncle. I, I know the house. I'll, sh I'll show my friends around. Pleasure to meet all of you. Likewise. And to you. And then hastily makes his exit. And Eliza turns and, and says, I wouldn't well. You've got a gift, kid. <laughs> is, there, uh, is there anyone else in here? Are there servants around to listen? Uh, there weren't any servants in the, uh, in the room with you. There was the one who delivered the tea, but she left. But there are servants like around the house, for sure. You, you sure. see them moving around in, and, uh, in the hall, and, and the, the house isn't busy with activity, but the servants are present. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep things hushed then. Uh, so you don't need me to tell you, uh, uh, Miss Valancourt, that uh, that whole house fire hokey is, uh, seems a bit convenient. And uh, he does seem to be making excuses to get us uh, into the mine with supervision, which I think is to our advantage, actually. How so? Well, uh, if we're supervised, we know where they don't want us to go. We have to have the boundaries drawn so we know how to go the wrong way. They're not going to want to show us what they're hiding, so we need to get a picture of what they're willing to show. Well, that is very clever, Dr. Simpleworth. <laughs> you know, it's 
You know, it's not just a pretty name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, also, how dare you, by the way. <laughs> she says, what? It's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, I bet. She looks to the clock in the room and says, I'd say we have a, a few hours uh, before dinner is served. I know which rooms are going to be made up for us. Uh, there's only four guest rooms in the house. So I presume my uncle expected me to to house myself with one of my bodyguards. She nods towards Juliet. Uh, great, roomy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I also do know where his office is. She grins. Interesting. I would like to take a look at that paperwork. Maybe find a Clemens. I think I might join you in that endeavor. See, uh, see if these numbers add up or not. Oh, yeah. I want to bring an expert with me, Mr. Two Pyrithium Mines. Father, you <laughs> dog. I've read about at least two Pyrithium Mines, so... Close enough. We'll take it. Close enough. And uh, perhaps I should tag along, help out. I can keep an eye out and get you in the door. I'm sure a man of your talents always comes in handy, Mr. Manning. Eliza nods and goes, I'll make a show of helping the servants in the kitchen. Uh, that, that, way it's, uh, that way not all five of us are, are slinking through the halls trying to break into my uncle's office. It's upstairs on the second floor, just before the spiral staircase leading to the turret. Perfect. You have a, a lovely evening now. I'll see the four of you at dinner. Uh, and she gives you all a mock curtsy and then uh, walks out. And as a servant walks by, uh, uh, she goes, Charlie, Charlie, uh, pleasure to see you again. What is for dinner? I am completely famished. A and she walks alongside him uh, to another part of the house. Before we all split up, I believe I'm going to use telepathy with everyone. Go ahead and roll a mentalist check. I will make my own luck. <laughs> I have a hit. <laughs> I'm going to twist the knife for another success and uh, go for the long-lived effect. Okay, cool. Uh, so spending a little bit of grit, uh, you're able to uh, uh, get two hits, and it's a long-lasting effect now. Uh, and as uh, Eliza is making her way towards Charlie, but still within your line of sight, uh, you focus your luminescent energy cyrus and pops and juliet you see as um clayton's pupils glow uh, a a warm golden light uh, that kind of spreads along the uh the veins around his eyes and then uh fades away and you all feel this kind of warm energy uh tingling at the back of your neck and unless you resist uh you hear clayton's voice inside your head Check, check. Can y'all oh. hear me? Whoa, yes. What, you, are t you are doing this. Oh, wow. Okay. You t maybe say something before you do that next time. Well, I ain't going to say it out loud. <laughs> you hear Eliza in your head. Oh, Roy told me about this. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing it? Is it working? Uh, yeah. Neat, isn't it? I, I didn't know you were illuminated. Oh, yeah. By the way, I'm illuminated. Yeah, thanks for letting me know. I guess it resounding in my head gets the point across. <laughs> I knew you were illuminated, but I didn't expect you to be able to do something like this. This is incredible. Yeah, this one's, uh, this one's all right. First time being on the conference call, Pops? <laughs> to me, it's nothing less than a miracle, I can tell you that. 
All right, well, let's do some exploring. I mean, we're in this fancy house. There's bound to be something fancy around. Uh, should we head up the stairs together, or should we maybe make a little bit of a show of it? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely, I'll, I'll head up and get lost trying to find my room. Cyrus, you make your way up the stairs? I wander around, uh, l- appearing aimless, but making my way to where Eliza said the office was. As you make your way around the house, you notice uh, servants moving around, tending to their duties, all of which are wearing those, uh, the collars of indentured indentured servitude um but you also notice a few other people um uh, at all of the like entrances and exits to the house and in some of the other rooms you just see guards standing around you know some some of them standing like lean and like actually standing guard a couple of them like just in a room like maybe playing cards together um and but all of them armed do do they look like family they're they're dressed in clothes that fit the setting they're in. They don't look like they like just walked straight off the streets of Liberty City into here or anything like that. Uh, a couple of them look like they could be family. It's hard to tell. Uh, there's no like insignia or defining like tattoos or anything that you spot. It, it's hard to say one way or the other. It does feel weird to you how many armed guards there are in this house, though. Uh, yeah, I'll relay that uh, through the mind link there to the team. Hey, watch out. Uh, he's got a lot of armed folks around here inside his house. I think that means he might have something to hide. Good to know. Let's try and suss that out. And then, Cyrus, you are the first person to make your way up to the second floor and into the hallway that leads to the turret. And uh, as you turn the corner, looking down that hallway, you see a large mahogany door at the end, as described to you by Eliza. Uh, that is presumably the door to... Nathaniel Valancourt's office. Uh, however, there is an armed guard standing directly out, uh, directly in front of it. Hmm. He kind of glances up from the the book he's reading and sees you and kind of dog ears the page and, and then like casually holds the book at his side, looking around at like some of the artwork. I'll, yeah, I'll uh, radio back to the team. Oh, one, one armed guard at the door. Hmm. It's a uh, clock to me. Now I'm just kind of standing here. <laughs> he sits there for a second looking at you like you see him continuously like catching glances back towards you. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not so good at uh, pulling people away from something that is clearly their job. Maybe if uh, if you can get them uh, focused on you, Mr. Sawyer can uh, at least get the door open so that I can pass by. Yeah, I can uh, hold his attention for a little bit. I'll stride down the hall. And uh, walk up to the guard. Uh, pleasant evening, you think? Sure. Pretty nice place to work, all things considered, right? Cushy house. <laughs> Not a lot to do around here, right? He uh, sets the book down on a on like a little uh, a decorative table neck and uh, against the wall nearby him, and uh, he looks you up and down and goes, "Who are you?" Ah, name's Doctor Fabrizio Simpleworth. I'm, uh, a friend of Eliza's. Uh, that's the. Uh, your boss's niece. He nods and goes, all right, then. Just got a little lost looking for my room. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know which room's yours, so uh, good luck finding it. This uh, this here ain't it. Ah, well, I, you know, I just thought, you know, we could have a, you know, friendly chat. I just, you know, just two guys, you know, hanging out, having a drink. What's your drink? He lets out a sigh and he goes, uh, listen, Fabrizio, I'm, I'm flattered and all, but I'm working. Oh, come on. 
there can't be anything to do right now. This this has got to be the cushiest job in the world. You're telling me that if, you know, I pulled out a, a little something right now, you wouldn't be interested? Go ahead and roll manipulate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play to the gallery here. So I got uh, 15 high. Oof. Uh, his highest is a 10. I've got two net hits. He looks over your shoulder down the hall and like listens for a minute and goes, I mean, I ain't saying anything as crazy as that. That's great. That's great to hear. I love a little bit of conviviality with my fellow man, you know, and I reach into my vest pocket and I pull out uh, one of my uh, flasks of, uh, let's say, whiskey. And uh, I also am going to palm a sleeping tonic. (laughs) Okay, Uh, you can roll skullduggery to handle said sleeping tonic without this guard noticing. All right, I have uh, 11 high. His highest is a nine. Ooh, I have two net hits because I'm the aggressor. Ah, all right. Yeah, he doesn't notice it and you can you can do something with it if you want. Then uh, I'm going to produce. <laughs> I'm going to just assume that I have empty glasses on my person. I got all these pockets. <laughs> do you have a machinery cube? Uh, oh, I have four machinery cubes. <laughs> yeah, I'll pop out some collapsible cups. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Take away one of your machinery cubes and you, uh, yeah, you have little collapsible, uh, uh, drinking cups. Now you have a, a set of three. Nice. I will pour a glass of whiskey for me and a glass of extra strong whiskey for my friend here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he doesn't notice you palm the sleeping tonic into his drink. You manage to do a little, like uh, a little distraction sleight of hand as you're pouring his, like you pour your drink, set it down. You almost knock over, uh, knock over like a, a vase with some flowers and uh, uh, he he reaches out to catch it. And in that moment, you slip in the sleeping tonic into his shot and you step back, you hand him uh, his glass. Uh, he uh, uh, takes a takes a smell of it and uh, seems to like the smell of the whiskey, uh, raises it up and he goes, Jackson, pleasure to meet you, Fabrizio. Pleasure's all mine. Be careful. This stuff is strong. He uh, grins at that and takes a shot. And uh, let's see if he resists your tonic. What's the tier of the tonic? It is tier two. So he uh, he takes a sip of it, sets it down, uh, lets out like a breath, like, that is fine whiskey, Fabrizio. You got good ta- <sighs> taste. And then he sits there for a second, kind of blinking. And he goes, ah, and like tries to like shake it off, but you can see the effect is kind of working. He goes, ah, let's do another round before someone catches me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will absolutely pour another shot. <laughs> this one I'm not going to drink. <laughs> uh, he he takes it and uh, he goes, to you, Fabrice. Oh, oh, no. And he sets the glass down without taking the shot and kind of like leans against the wall. Hey, I'm sure no one would mind if you, you know, you took a little break. It's not like there's anything going on here. He's like trying really hard to stay awake. And he goes, yeah, I think, what is in the house? And he just kind of like sits down and falls asleep there. (laughs) I tussle his hair. And uh, can you, can I send, can I send visual through telepathy? You sure can. Oh, hey, uh, this guard is really sleepy. Check it out. I don't, you know, I think, I think we could just go in. Well done, Simple Worth. Well done. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to stick around at like the bottom of the stairs or maybe at the top, the top of the staircase 
uh, looking like a bodyguard, so I'm not that far away from Eliza, but far enough that it might look like I'm still keeping an eye on her, and then also serving as a lookout for anybody coming up the stairs. Okay. Um, go ahead and roll blend to not look suspicious. You can you can have a plus two because Eliza like openly said that you were her bo- one of her bodyguards, <laughs> and the staff has been informed of such. I got a hit. My highest is in fact a six. <laughs> okay, so you position yourself trying to look bodyguardly uh, nearby the uh, stairs. And uh, Clayton and Pops and Cyrus, what are you three getting into? I'm going to use Detect Life as I make my way up to the office. Okay. Your eyes flash gold once more as you reach out with your luminescent energy to feel the other life forms around you. I get a single success. So just basically a flash of it. Yeah, uh, you know the number of people in the, within the targeted range of your detect life. Uh, so as you're walking around, you, you know there's people around, but unfortunately you weren't able to harness your luminescence well enough to get a direction or anything or any additional information like that. And uh, Pops? After a good amount of time passes, after uh, Mr. Sawyer goes upstairs, I'll follow. Um, I won't go immediately inside. I, I will... Uh, pace uh, up and down the hall just for a a couple of moments as though I'm doing an evening prayer. Eyes slanted down, hands behind my back, uh, just to give the the image of a reason to be there before I I slip into the door. Okay, Uh, so Pops, you can roll blend to try and kind of hide in plain sight as just a preacher walking around uh, uh, casually like, you know, maybe reading one of his books or, 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 uh, practicing a sermon. Uh, and, uh, Clayton, I assume you're trying to move without being seen, which will be a sneak test. I will use a face in the crowd to add a reliability to my blend for this role. All right. Looks like you guys are up against a five. I've got a high of 10 with two net hits. High 13, two net hits. Uh, so Cyrus, you have a little bit of time before, or you have just a little bit of time before Clayton comes slinking around a corner and, uh, joins you at the door and you have a little bit of time past then, uh, until the father shows up. Uh, what are you doing during that time period? I will pour the whiskey back that the guy didn't drink. Thanks a lot, Jackson. Um, well, hold and- on. <laughs> okay. I, so I'm in, I'm in the middle of pouring that back and, and, um, uh, I see Clayton come around and I like silently offer him the glass and I ask, is there anybody behind that door that you know of? Can I use detect life again to be able to answer that? Yeah, sure. You can roll again, uh, a- hoping for a better result and taking whatever it is you roll. Three hits. General list of types of life forms and direction from you as a long lasting effect. Uh, so your, your kind of mental count of how many life forms are around gets a little shorter as you tighten in the range and it doesn't fully cover this large house. Um, but you are able to, uh, get the life forms and their direction by kind of focusing in your energy. And, uh, you kind of look at the door for a second and you start getting the direction of the different life forms within that shorter range. And you do not detect anyone on the other side of that door. All right. You're clear. 
Uh, I then I put Jackson into a comfy napping position, <laughs> as if he is truly asleep on the job. Uh, and I try the handle on this door. It is locked. Well, I didn't want to have to do this, but you know, it looks, it looks like a, a task that requires surgical precision. Yeah. I have like a doctor's toolkit, like that has like my scalpels and stuff. And I think one of the things in my doctor's toolkit is a set of lock picks. <laughs> Also, Jackson might have the key. So you you say that as like I'm like rolling out my uh, <laughs> doctor's tools, and you're like, "That's ridiculous, Clayton. That's ridiculous." I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check and make sure he doesn't. But I really doubt that he does. I'm gonna search Jackson. <laughs> he does have a set of keys on him. Yeah, well, they're probably not to this door. <laughs> and and I try each of the keys. The first one you try unlocks the door. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, you got you got lucky. You got lucky, Clayton. I like your style. Sometimes you got to think inside the box too. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, pops comes around the corner. I give Jackson back his keys and uh, I slip inside that door. I'll follow. I'll stand uh, outside the door. So the office is uh, kind of a half circle in shape with a large desk in the center, uh, map of manifest uh, up on the wall. And a safe in the corner behind the desk. Well, if I had to guess, I'd say the most important documents would be uh, right there, Pops says, indicating the safe. Well, when it comes to uh, books, Pops, I look to you for guidance. So let's check out that safe. Let's. Okay. So this will be a skullduggery. It is a very good safe. So you will be operating at a minus five. Uh, let's go it strong. How about... Okay, you spend some grit to get rid of your negative penalties. And I'll, I'll listen to this safe's heartbeat. And, uh, you know, if you... you the stethoscope is really what does it. <laughs> <laughs> I do have three hits. Cyrus reaches into his medical kit, pulls out a stethoscope, puts it against the, the safe and starts fiddling with the dial. Uh, it actually doesn't take him too long to crack it. He uh, works a little bit, and you lose maybe five to ten minutes tops for him to crack it. As he does so, I suppose I'll, I'll uh, glance around at the rest of the books just on the shelves to see if uh, there are other methods of uh, dissuading a person from seeing the real purpose of the mine, or if there are any actual legitimate documents that I can find having to do with the mine. All right, go ahead and roll an observe test. Uh, it's a bit cluttered, and you're a little pressed for time, probably. So uh, we'll call it a minus three. All right, that is two net hits. Okay, so you rummage around a little bit, and you do find uh, an old uh, folder amongst some of his uh, some of his paperwork. Uh, and opening it up and looking through it, you kind of see a, a rough layout of, of the mine as far as, um, uh, like it's, it's some of the reports on the Baito incident, not, not like anything super intricate, just like a remapping of the mine, marking off the areas of the, uh, three chambers that are the Baito chambers, uh, which are down low about over 300 feet below the ground. Uh, and, uh, there's three of them getting slightly bigger each time going, uh, going deeper into the mine. And it looks like the third one, uh, collapsed inward, uh, which destabilized the second one. Uh, 
judging from the feasibility study, does it look as though there is still a good amount of unmined pyrithium or? You don't find anything super recent on that. Mm. Yeah, it's like an old restored document. Um, but in that particular study at that time, it doesn't mention anything about like another rich vein or anything like that. Sure. But also the date that it's from is uh, uh, a little before Nathaniel Valancourt claims to have hired uh, uh, the surveyor to find uh, a different way to utilize the mine. So it's hard to say. So this document in particular doesn't lead any uh, discredit or validation to Nathaniel's story. Sure. Excellent. But you do have a map of the mine, or at least an old map of the mine. Very helpful. That'll help us find anything new if they've dug something. Exactly. Uh, and then click the safe unlocks. Meanwhile, down on the ground floor, uh, Juliet, one of the servants, comes up to you. Uh, yes? Miss Knight, is it? That's correct. Uh, did you need anything, uh, uh, refreshments, or, or, or to have anything brought to your room? No, I'm fine, thank you. I, I don't I don't mean to impose, Miss, but uh I, I do I do wonder what are you waiting for something? Is there is there I don't mean to tell you how to do your job or anything, but Ms. Valancourt is in the kitchen if you're looking for her. I appreciate that. Um I, I am aware of her location. She lacks her freedom, so I try not to press. Am I in your way? No, no, no not at all, of course not. Um You could tell me if I was. Well, she sits there for a second, a little apprehensive. Uh, you can go ahead and roll manipulate to uh, to convince her to uh, speak a little more freely. Uh, that's a nine. So she sits there and goes, well, I, it's a bit embarrassing, miss, but I, I am a bit behind on some of my, uh, some of my chores. And, and I was, I was tasked with polishing the banisters there, the banister you're leaning against. All right. Hand it over. I, I beg your pardon, miss. The, I presume, rag and whatever cloth. Hand it over. Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you mistake my meaning. I, I don't mean for you to do my job for me. I, I simply was, was asking uh, for you to just kind of maybe stand somewhere else while I, while I work on it. Uh, I, I'd, hate, I'd hate to disappoint uh, uh, Mayor Valancourt. You know, working with my hands helps me think you'd be doing me a favor if... Uh, you let me if you let me take over this one teeny tiny little chore for you. I won't tell nobody. How many net hits did you get over a seven? Two. Then she sits there and goes, "All right, I, I do appreciate it. It will help me get ahead of things. Uh, uh, and of course, if you change your mind along the way, uh, uh, my name is Miriam, and you can just send for me, and I'll I'll finish up the job, and I won't I won't hold you any ill will. Uh, this this here's the rag. It just needs a quick polish. He has us do it every day, so it don't get too dirty." But uh, if, do me a favor. If the mayor comes through, don't let him see you working on the house. Uh, he'd tan my hide if he, if he knew I let you do some of my chores for me. Well, Miriam, thank you for doing me such a kindness. I will not forget it. And she nods and hands you, uh, hands you a rag and goes, Thank you, miss. When, when you're done with it, you can just drop it in the dumbwaiter, either down that hall or upstairs. Uh, will do. Thank you so much. And uh, she kind of smiles and, and scurries off uh, with a little bit of a pep in her step to move on to uh, her next task. I guess I start cleaning the banister. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hear in the back of your mind, oh, you missed the spot. <laughs> You're welcome to come do it for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm listening to this safe. It's got a lot of interesting things to say. I'm sure it does. Focus, you two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
Cyrus, you successfully open the safe. It swings open. You see some stacks of spurs on the top shelf. There is a handgun, a few tonics, uh, and some uh, papers and a couple journals. Uh, so I'll pull the, the papers and journals out, being careful not to uh, disturb anything. I'm interested in what the tonics are. I'm going ha- to hand the, uh, the papers back to Pops. Uh, and also uh, say in um, uh, in everybody's mind, hey, can everybody can everybody here could read, right? Just checking. Don't want to single anybody out. Well, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a look at these tonics. Maybe you want to page through these while I'm uh, figuring out what these are. Yeah. As much as I want to rob this guy, uh, I think we should. You know, we were never here. I'll uh, I'll broadcast the image to the other two so as not to distract Cyrus, but uh, just in case they see something that I might miss. Okay. So, um, at that moment, as like Cyrus is like kind of grabbing the journals and handing them to you, Clayton, you detect, uh, a life form approaching. It's on the second floor. It enters the range of your detect life and is moving, uh, moving down, uh, the hall, uh, that connects to the hall you're standing in. I'm going to step away from the door and, go down a different hallway and uh, alert my comrades to what's going on. The most secure way for you to duck out of sight would be to go up the stairs to the little uh, turret tower uh, that's to your uh, right. I'm going to do that quietly. Okay. So with that information from uh, Clayton, um, you guys have what feels like at most like a minute uh, before, uh, before someone will have line of sight to this office. So, uh, pops kind of, kind of looking through these papers, trying to get, uh, as much useful information in the short period of time you have will require an observe role. It's a couple journals and a couple papers. So you're going to have to kind of get a little lucky with, uh, with exactly what you look at, uh, cause you're not gonna be able to like look over everything that's there. Uh, so, uh, the observe test will be at a minus two. And those of you who are looking through Pops's eyes uh, through the telepathic link, uh, you will have an additional minus two because it's really weird trying to look at what someone else isn't focusing on through their own vision. And Cyrus, if you want to uh, uh, analyze those tonics, uh, you can definitely do so popping out your med kit and, and switching it over to the, uh, uh, to the tonic setting. And, uh, and kind of scanning them and trying to get a readout on them. And that will be a first aid test. I have five hits. Or perhaps that's uh, three net hits. I also got three hits. Just one. So, Cyrus, you uh, uh, scan these four tonics. Uh, one of them uh, is a tier two healing tonic. Uh, another one is a tier three paralyzed tonic. You have a a tier two antitoxin and a tier four extra potent truth serum. Oh boy. That's too, that's too good. All right. Um, trying not to show anybody like I don't like, I don't even look at it so that nobody on the telepathy can see me do it. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to pocket the truth serum and I'll put the other three back. So, uh, Pops, you get a little more info than those that are looking through your, uh, through your vision, um, separately, but, uh, what you're able to get, uh, you're like kind of thumb your way through, you see an entry, 
uh, an earlier entry in one of the journals uh, where he mentions his brother, Bill Valancourt, as written by Nathaniel. Um, and he's talking about Bill and how the two of them got in an argument because of the uh, because of the accident. Um, uh, it's writing about how upset he was with his brother about the fact that, like, he doesn't care that Constance Grove is going to suffer because of the mine closing down. And so he goes off on a little bit of a tirade about how Bill always thinks that he's better. Like when they inherited their parents' wealth and estate, uh, you know, Bill got like all the the frontline stuff. So Bill is the face of the Valancourt estate. He got the Valancourt Manor in Amber Springs, where the Valancourts originated from. And uh, all Nathaniel got was this failing town. And the only thing that didn't make it a failing town was the mine, which was given to Bill and not Nathaniel, as like which Nathaniel seems to think is an insult. And now the mine's done and, and Bill doesn't care enough to try and make it work. So he's he's like livid with his brother about it. And you kind of you fan through and you find some dates around the time range where uh, Bill Valancourt died. Uh, and you're you're skimming and you're skimming and you don't see even once the mention of anyone with the last name Clemens. In fact, in that whole time range, he never mentions anything about hiring a surveyor or working with his brother to hire a surveyor. You do see there's this one, uh, one of the dates has a very, very short entry. He's like, it's like he wrote like a, a little note to himself, a reminder to uh, go to Liberty City. And he wrote down an address. And then uh, there's a point where you uh, open the pages right around the time where Bill Valancourt died. And those pages have been ripped out of the journal. And the next entry is ta- is dated uh, at a point where he's mentioning how the mine is now opening up uh, w- with Eliza's blessing and that Nathaniel finally feels like it's his chance to be a Valancourt, to be a successful Valancourt, despite anything that his brother or his parents ever said about him. And that's the information you're able to get before you guys feel the pressure is on and you have to put things back the way you saw them. So let's go ahead and roll a skullduggery test for that. Um, it's pretty hard to put it back together in such a short amount of time, not know, not really taking a full mental image of wh- how things were beforehand because you thought you were going to have a little bit more time to think through. So uh, to be able to throw everything down and jump out the door, relock it, and uh, and go up the stairs where um, uh, up the spiral staircase to the turret where Clayton is hiding, that's all going to be a skullduggery at a minus four. All right, so we're... Uh... Usually my skullduggery would just be four, but uh, I've got theoretically skilled, which allows me to use my uh, uh, lore as a as a target number. So uh, I'll be rolling for eleven. And this can be a teamwork test, so you can be assisting uh, uh, assisting Cyrus. Cyrus, you're rolling skullduggery at a minus four. Okay. Well, Cyrus and I both saw what was in the safe, so I guess I can point out if something is misplaced. All right, that is two net hits. All right, so that's a plus two for you, Cyrus. All right, that's that's a, that's agreeable. I then I will I will spend two grit. I will play to the gallery. I will also get an explosion now that I can count my ten. All right, I have one hit. Okay. Uh. So yeah. Uh. Cyrus. Uh. Pops kind of like rearranges the books how he remembers them. He hands them to you, and you sit there and you're like, oh, were the were the papers to the side of the books or were they under the books? Were they to the side or, or under? And you're like, don't have enough time to really say anything for sure. So you just 
take your best guess, set them down and close it uh, and close the safe and uh, spin the dial back to the number you remembered it being on. And And how many tonics were there? Who remembers? (laughs) (laughs) And then you quickly make your way uh, out the door, uh, locking it behind you and scurrying up the stairs just in time to hear some footsteps rounding the corner and walking down the uh, hallway. Uh, They speed up a little bit (laughs) and you hear uh, the slapping of, uh, of a hand against skin. (laughs) What the hell are you doing, man? I just, uh, I don't know. There was, there was a guy and he, he had whiskey on him. Oh my, go, go clean yourself up. You, You know, what Valancourt would do if he saw you just sleeping outside his office. The man is skittish as hell. Get the hell out of here. Go, go. I'll, I'll stand here. He don't know who's, who's on watch where just go take a, go take a nap. Oh man, you do that for me. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) As we're listening to this conversation, uh, pops in his hiding places, scribbling down the uh, address that he read before he forgets it. And he's going to, he's going to write it just in the very corner of, uh, the map that he found in the room. Yeah, over the telepathy, Cyrus is going to say, "You get any of that, Eliza?" She's uh, uh, she responds back uh, mentally. I'm a little busy trying to distract the staff, uh, distract the staff with completely asinine requests for dinner. (laughs) 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 But I'm sure you can fill me in uh, either tonight or tomorrow. Oh, hey, yeah, can you get like a cobbler? Ooh, good idea. (laughs) Speaking of asinine requests, and uh, pops and Cyrus. And Clayton, you all are kind of up in this little turret tower. It's a small circular sitting room with four tall windows uh, that give you a beautiful view of the um, front of the house with the sun starting to set. Uh, you also can see to the side of the house uh, the the wooded slope leading up to uh, where the mining facility is. And also in the room is, uh, is an easel. Uh, set up um, and uh, uh, a dry like painter's palette kind of hangs on it. I wonder who the artist in the family is. Nathaniel doesn't strike me as the type, but I guess suppose I can't rule him out. I'll I'll ask uh, I'll ask Eliza then. Hey, do you know anything about this? Oh, the 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 painter's nook. Yes, my aunt uh, who who passed away uh, before I was born. Unfortunately, uh, she used to paint, and and my uncle never really. Uh, never really broke down her her easel there. He keeps it there to remember her by. Um, some of the some of the paintings in the house are uh, are Valancourt originals though. Oh, nice! I think I've seen what I need to see. Uh, uh, Pops uh, uh, goes up to what uh, is effectively a memorial and makes the uh, sign of the triangle and says, "Rest easy." Have I finished with this banister yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You finished. You finished. Uh, uh, Around the time that they were rushing to uh, to get out of the room, uh, I will find this dumb waiter and uh, put the rag in it. I suppose we should be getting ready for dinner, uh, shall we, my friends? That sounds good to me. Do you still know whether or not there are any uh, people downstairs there, Mister Sawyer? He does. Yeah, it's a it's a new guy. He doesn't know us. We can just walk right by. I think. Isn't he also standing right by the spiral staircase? Well, yeah, he's he's going to see us, but I don't think that's a problem. We're just guests. Uh, we should be all right. We're just looking around. Yeah, we just heard there was a view up there. Well, I will uh, I will head up the rear then if you've got confidence in this. All right, so 
the three of you uh, uh, walk by. There's a, a larger man, um, armed still, an armed guard, uh, and he kind of glances your way as you walk by, and he just kind of like gives you a curt nod. Evening. Ah, evening. And to you, sir. And good evening to you. Uh, and he doesn't stop you guys. You guys go walking by. He, if he if he is suspicious of you, he doesn't do act on it immediately. Just like Juliet said, simple plan, like an apple. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, uh, you guys have time to go to your rooms and and freshen up and change before dinner, if you please. And uh, eventually the table is drawn and uh, uh, Eliza shows you to the dining room. It is a large table, larger than need, than you need for six people to sit at. It has a beautiful spread, uh, uh, a central dish of like a, a boar. And then fruits and other uh, and other meats and uh, and sweets up and down on either side of that. You see, Eliza managed to convince them to make four different types of cobbler. Uh, <laughs> 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 she had them also kind of like make parts of dishes that don't make any sense with the rest of it. Like there's there's a whole plate of omelets and a whole plate of pancakes. And, uh, and there's like fruit spreads, uh, of completely different tastes They're Uh, they're pleasantly like separated from each other, but like, it is an amalgamation of a bunch of different dishes. And Eliza just kind of grins at you guys as she's standing before it. Like she's proud of the work she did to make it so that all of the servants had to spend a lot of their attention doing that and not noticing you guys snooping around. <laughs> absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. <laughs> And sitting at the head of the table is Mayor Nathaniel Valancourt. Uh, he stands up when you enter, uh, and uh, he walks over and gives uh, Eliza a kiss on the cheek and gestures to the table, and he goes, Please, please, ha- have a seat, have a seat. I- I'm so sorry to have to have run out on you uh, earlier in the day. My-, my-, my sincerest apologies. I hope you find your rooms to your liking. Uh, again, I-, I could have given better accommodations with further warning, but... I won't hold it against you, my dear. And Eliza smiles at that. Uh, the rooms are quite nice. Thank you very much. And Pop will, Pops will uh, tip his hat and then remove it for dinner. Uh, he sits down and he gestures for one of the servants to come over. And he goes, no, uh, please, please. Um, uh, what can I have them fetch you to drink? What is your drink of choice? Well, I'd love a cup of strong black coffee if I can get one. Of course, yes. Or he makes eye contact with Eliza and goes, and of course for you, uh, a fine rosé. And she goes, of course, uncle. Thank you. And he looks to the rest of you. I will uh, take uh, my flask out of my jacket pocket and just like wiggle it at him and then just like slip it back in. On duty, sir. I will resume my position behind Eliza. Damn, you make a good point. It's all right, Mr. Manning. You're off shift. Go ahead and roll manipulate. See if you can uh, uh, continue to play this part without tipping your hand to Nathaniel. You're up against a six. Hey, that's two nut hits. All right. Yeah. Uh, he goes, he kind of like looks at you impre- with an impressed look on his face and he turns to Eliza and goes, ah, I see you've uh, improved your help rather than downgraded. And she smiles at that and, go- and goes, uncle, please. Victor is loyal to a fault and excellent at his job. And he goes, yes, I don't need a reminder of his loyalty. The man was rigid in his servitude to your late father. I'm glad to hear he's giving you the same courtesy. Even still, the discipline of Miss Knight is refreshing. Uh, for you, Mr. Manning, Dr. Simpleworth. I would defer to your recommendation, of course, as my gracious host. I must say I'm very impressed with uh, with your household. 
as well as the success with which you've managed this mine from zero yield to this prodigious and consistent yield that you show today. You're a real self-made man. Uh, he smiles at that. Um, go ahead and roll manipulate. Uh, 12 high. Uh, how many net hits over an, a nine? Two. He, he smiles at that and goes, well, I, 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 I don't want to, uh, I don't want to boast. It is, uh, it is unseemly, but yes, the, the mine has seen quite some success and, uh, and, uh, I've played no small part in it. Uh, facts are facts as they are. Um, I'll get you a gin, my good man. And, and Mr. Manning? I'll also have a gin, I think. Excellent. All right. And he nods to the servant who nods and, uh, and exits into the kitchen and then, uh, uh, servants move to like carve some of the boar and, and put plates out in front of all of you. Uh, they all avert their eyes and, uh, don't speak. And, uh, mayor Valancourt sits there and, and waits for them to finish and then move back to the sides. This, this practice, uh, is somewhat uncomfortable to all of you. Uh, indentured servitude on manifest is born out of, uh, out of hundreds of years ago, people without the, finances or the means to colonize manifest signed on with different companies and different families as indentured servants, uh, owing them the debt of travel and other expenses, uh, and working said debt off, uh, either as servants or, or laborers or things like that. The problem is a year into manifests colonization, the departure happened and, uh, and finances on manifest were even more strained and people were forced into longer, more demanding contracts. Indentured servitude as a whole isn't extremely widespread throughout manifest, uh, but it is still re- uh, prevalent as the factory wars rage- waged on and corruption reigned and those indentured servant contracts were extended and warped and twisted and the legal letter of the law was abused and people became sort of locked in contracts that were not impossible to pay off, but very, very difficult, uh, to the point where some families that weren't as costless as they should be fell into, uh, into deep financial pits with their contractors, uh, to the point where, uh, people were starting to be born a- into, uh, families assuming the debt of their indentured, uh, parents. In the worst places of manifest, indentured servitude is close to actual slavery. Uh, in the better places of manifest, uh, indentured servants, uh, are given much more free reign. Those of you who are on the train to uh, Waypoint may remember Irene Bennett, an indentured servant who was traveling alone. No one was paying her any mind. Uh, indentured servants wear the collar in case they try to run out on their contract, but they're not treated as property like this. They're not treated, they're not dehumanized. In fact, uh, after the factory wars, the, uh, the eight governors of Manifest signed law, uh, universal laws into uh into effect that uh, prohibited people from from barbaric or um dehumanizing practices when it comes to their indentured servants and nathaniel valancourt is writing a very thin line from what it seems with uh with his treatment of his house staff as nathaniel begins to reach for his uh utensils pops closes his eyes and reaches out his hands to either side of him and gives a little nathaniel stops and goes, uh, yes, yes, and he kind of like nervously like brushes his uh, the uh, his chin beard and um, puts his hands out on the table and says, "It's it's been a while, Father. My apologies." 
Not at all, not at all. And uh, I hold the hands of the people on each side of me, uh, obviously Valancourt to the left, and oh, I assume Cyrus to the right. And I say, may this drink quench our thirsts, may this food nourish our bodies, and may the hands that prepared it find fortune in their lives to pursue their heart's leisure. Let it be so. Let it be so. Let it be so. And uh, then Nathaniel uh, grabs his uh, utensils. The servant returns with everyone's drinks, handing them all out, uh, and then return and then uh, quickly enters the kitchen. And uh, yeah, the food is delicious. Despite Eliza giving them the runaround, all of the crazy dishes that she had them make are expertly uh, executed. Is the telepathy still on? Oh, yeah. Hey, Eliza, uh, when we buy your uncle out, you'll let his servants go, right? She reacts to that mental uh, message that you send her, hiding it a little bit with, uh, with a sip of her wine and thinks back to you, oh, I mean, if I if we were to take over his in his all of his holdings, then then yes, uh, I I'm not a fan of indentured servitude. Neither was my father. Thirty years ago, he released uh, all of his servants from their contracts, hiring them on as workers if they liked. And uh, well, you saw Philip. One of he's he was uh, born into indentured servitude, and he was quite an old man uh, by that time. Uh, he re- helped raise my father and. Uh, according to him, he didn't feel comfortable with the uh, uh, comfortable without the torque, and so he insisted that we uh, add a hinge to it, saying that uh, he gets to decide when uh, whether or not we get to take it off. Fascinating man. He is quite the character. I am very glad to hear, though, that uh, you you'll be releasing these folks. They seem like they've been uh, worked to the bone. She sits there uh, uh, as if in her own thoughts. Not sure what she's going to say back to you guys as uh, Nathaniel speaks aloud at the table, having uh, taken a couple bites and a sip of, of drink. Uh, and he goes, I, I try not to talk business at the table, you know, as you know, Elizabeth. But I did want to let you know that tomorrow morning at dawn, uh, the foreman, uh, the head foreman of the mine, Barbara Hutchins, uh, is going uh, is going to be waiting for you. She will give you a tour of your mine. And Eliza uh, smiles at that and says, I appreciate it, Uncle. I'm looking forward to this experience. Sounds perfectly lovely. Bright and early tomorrow. Uh, so it ain't my place, considering that I am quote-unquote on duty, but if somebody wants to maybe ask about why there's so many people on guard here, it might either uh, let him share with us that he is in trouble in some way or uh, otherwise uh, engaged. That's uh, not a bad idea, Mrs. Hunt. Uh, and out loud, Pops asks, Now, as I was wandering through the halls, uh, finding my room and just getting a general view of the place, I, I noticed there's quite a few men armed and standing outside of doors in your home. Uh, are you expecting any trouble? Or? Yes, he has a point, Uncle. Uh, this, is, this is far beyond your usual guard. And uh, Nathaniel nods, uh, almost like solemnly, he goes, I know, I know. It's it's unseemly, is what it is. But uh, unfortunately, the the heavy yield of this new vein of pyrithium has made the town somewhat of a a, a target. Uh, nothing ha- has happened, but there are rumors that perhaps uh, unseemly people might try and take advantage of uh, of the town. They they understand the the wealth I have from uh, from the very gracious stake my niece has given me in this mine. 
and, well, I got a bit nervous about it, I suppose. And then, and, and uh, one thing led to another, and uh, there are plenty of people coming into town for mining work and plenty of strong uh, men with, uh, with firearms offering me their services, and I may have gotten a little carried away. I, I understand. But it does make me feel more secure. Surely, surely. And uh, not to pry into your private matters, but wouldn't those men be better served guarding the mine itself or perhaps a storehouse for the pyrithium? Oh, there's there's more than just my household guard. Yes, uh, uh, there's a, ho- a veritable company. Uh, my very own militia, you might say. Ask how many. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can see how something like that would come in useful. Uh, A fairly sizable militia, I would assume. Uh, Nothing to pose a threat to the the governor of Liberty City or anything, but... uh, (laughs) Surely not. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, uh, 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 something around a score, perhaps? A score of men. And half of them, at least, in your house. Does it make you uncomfortable, Father? I can tell them to be a little more subtle as they as they protect you. It's not their obvious nature that bothers me. Mostly just having so many weapons of destruction nearby. Uh, I've gotten used to uh, Miss Valancourt's bodyguards. They do seem to handle their weapons in a, uh, in a righteous manner. But uh, strangers with weapons always make me just a little bit nervous. You can understand why. I understand, I understand. I, I do apologize. The constitution of the faith must be hard to maintain. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, if anyone wants to try and suss out whether or not he is telling the truth or lying, you can roll either uh, discipline or if you have the talent playing the player, you can roll manipulate. Ooh, I'm there for that. I'll, uh, I'll take a shot at it as well. I've got an 11 high. I've got a 4 high. Cyrus, you get the faintest whiff of bullshit uh, coming coming <laughs> off that story. It doesn't really make any sense, just objectively, uh, and it feels like a like a spun story to mask the truth. But you're not really you're not really able to glean anything more from that. Whether or not he's being held captive uh, and is playing it off to the best of his ability that he is still in charge, or if he is hiding something nefarious. Uh, honestly, you can't tell. All you can tell is that he's definitely like. He's definitely spinning a tail for one or for one purpose or another. Something's being hidden here, indeed. But a uh, uh, dinner continues to be uh, pleasant. Uh, Nathaniel changes the conversation away from his uh, from uh, his armed guard, if uh, if you allow him, and he uh, he moves on to ask Eliza about her vacation, and Eliza. Uh, Tells him about her time in San Cordero and then makes up uh, some stuff about the different settlements that she went to. All the while, not not dropping any hints that she's suspicious of anything, being uh, playing her part perfectly. Um, is there uh, any any other bits of conversation you guys would like to have with Mayor Valancourt? Uh, because if you uh, if you just play along, then the dinner is smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, yes, uh, uh, let's finish this dinner deftly so that we can move on with our uh, with our plans. A pleasant dinner it is. The food is excellent, the dessert is is great, and you have as many drinks as you are comfortable having. As the servants continue to maintain the table and stand off to the sides in silence, uh, waiting for themselves to be needed. Uh, and then um, Nathaniel uh, stands up, drops his napkin uh, on his plate. That was... 
Absolutely wonderful. Always, always a joy to catch up with you, Elizabeth. But I must turn in for the night. And you should as well. You have an early morning with Miss Hutchins. And, uh, and Eliza stands up. Thank you, Uncle, uh, for everything. I'm looking forward to us being more proper business partners. And uh, he smiles at that and says, of course, dear, of course. I look forward to it. A little bit strained to any of you who are looking for it. And then he leaves. Eliza, before we uh, all turn in for the night, perhaps we should discuss a few safety precautions regarding entering that mine. She nods and goes, of course, uh, let's discuss it in my room. Perfect. And she gestures for you all to follow her. Uh, and as you guys are approaching the door, uh, Miriam is actually, Miriam, the servant, is actually standing outside. Uh, and she says, without really making eye contact to Elizabeth, do you need help preparing, the, uh, preparing for bed, Miss Valancourt? And uh, she goes, oh, no, no, no problem at all, Miriam. Uh, I, I will be fine. I need to actually, dis- uh, I must discuss uh, some things with my, with my companions. Uh, you can run along. You're, you're, uh, I won't need you for the evening. And she nods and curtsies and says, of course, Miss Valancourt, and like runs off. And Elizabeth kind of sits there for a second watching her go. And she says, they do seem off, don't they? Yeah, indentured servants, they certainly do. I've never been doted upon so actively. How young is Miriam? Uh, Miriam is actually pretty close to Eliza's age. So like uh, maybe 18 to 20, somewhere in that range. Well, you know, some people have never really known freedom. Bound to get you a little bit off. Indentured servitude is dreadful business. And looking back uh, with a little bit more of a sober mind, uh, Uncle Nate was always a little harsher in his uh, expectations of his servants. But even still, she kind of looks at the door that uh, she looks at the door closed behind her as you guys stand in her bedroom. She kind of like fiddles her thumb. She and she just shakes her head. It's like they're afraid. I have no doubt they are. We discovered a few things in your uncle's office today. And you catch her up to speed? Yeah, we tell her everything we found. She kind of sits there, taking it in, and she goes, I knew that my, my father and my uncle had their differences, but I, such vitriol. It is disturbing to think that my uncle harbored such ill will towards my father, but maybe he, he just forgot to write down about uh, any entry about a surveyor. I mean, he had to have... He had to have had the mind checked out. Either maybe it was himself. I, or, and she like kind of catches herself trying to like justify and, def- and be overly defensive. She puts up a hand and goes, all I'm saying is he could still be in some trouble. He seems like a very fastidious man just looking at his journals. And uh, judging from the pages that were torn out, I, I would believe that everything he wrote in his journal, it it is honest. He wouldn't rip out a lie from the journal, it wouldn't logically make sense. So uh, if there's anything to be gained from that, I, I, I can certainly tell that he does truly seem to care about the people of the town, if nothing else. You said he ripped out the entries around the time that my father died. I, I can understand wanting to delete that part of history. It was, it, was, it was tragic. I mean, he was old and he didn't take the best care of himself, but... The stroke was unexpected and an unpleasant business, to be sure. Any other strange circumstances around your father's death? I did find a paralysis tonic in that safe as well. She blinks at that, and then her ears and cheeks get a little red, and she goes, 
Mr. Finch, if you are insinuating that my uncle had something to do with the death of my father, that is not a theory I am even willing to entertain at this point. All we know is that something is off about this arrangement, but my uncle is cooperating. He's helping, uh, he's letting us see the mine. We will get more information, and I don't want to sit here and entertain wild speculation on what little information we have. A sin is only a sin until it is proven to be so. Uh, none of us are passing judgment on your uncle just quite yet. She softens a bit as the preacher kind of talks her down, and then she takes a deep breath and she goes, uh, I apologize, Cyrus. It's hard to think of my uncle being the complete opposite of what he what he's shown me his entire life. I I know him and you don't and I see how the pieces can fit together from where you're standing, but I've proven myself to be a, a good judge of character and please allow me some trust. I trust you. I've been in your position before. I don't want to incriminate you or any of your family, but sometimes our family can disappoint us. I just want you to be ready for that. Well said. She nods, like kind of centering herself. The the uh, the heat leaves her her face, and she goes, "I am quite tired, and and I do think it's best that I I turn in for the evening. We we'll get more answers tomorrow, and I thank you all for helping me. Of course, you have helped us uh, just as much. Uh, before we separate, as a uh... Anybody else have knowledge of Liberty City? I was born in the place, so I have some, but uh, I uh, have a, an address that would would be useful if, if we have any information about it. And I, uh, I take out the map and, sh- and show it to everyone. So looking at that address, Pops and Cyrus, you guys w- uh, could roll connections because um, uh, fr- you both were born in Liberty City. Pops, you're going to be rolling at a minus two. Um, Cyrus, you have no modifier. That's a uh, two net hits for pops. I've got, I've got four hits. So, uh, pops, you know, you know, the area, it's actually not too far from the, the church that you were the undertaker for, um, which you do know to be, uh, the church that, uh, nearly all of the O'Malley family members go to. So it's like right in, in the, uh, area that is most controlled by the O'Malley's. And uh, uh, kind of looking at it, you you know that much. Uh, it's in that it's in that neighborhood, right in the heart of O'Malley territory. And Cyrus, with four hits, that's fucking Peter O'Malley's address. <laughs> that's the castle. That's the king's castle right there. That's O'Malley's house. Well, I think we can safely say that it's not just rumor that uh, that O'Malley and uh, Valancourt are are in together. Or at least that Valancourt at one point visited the current most powerful crime boss in Freedom or Liberty City. Yes, precisely. Eliza sits silently on that information for a minute. She kind of like blinks away whatever she's thinking and goes, Gentlemen, I am quite tired. Uh, I think it's time Juliet and I turn in for the evening. Of course, Miss Valancourt. Yeah, we'll get out of your bedroom. And, um, before I go, I'll like, just like check in with Juliet real quick and like squeeze her hand. You, you got this? I do. Don't do anything stupid. Okay. Or at least let me know first. It really ruins my plans for the evening. I All figured. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
and as they uh, after they leave Juliet, Eliza sits there, kind of like working her index finger and her thumb uh, against each other, almost nervously, uh, kind of thinking. And she moves to like go prepare for bed. And uh, as she like goes to brush her hair, she like hits a knot in her hair, and like out of frustration, like slams down, uh, slams her uh, comb into her drawer and and like slams the drawer shut. Uh, I will walk over and uh, calmly open up the drawer, take out the comb, and start combing her hair from the ends up to the roots so the knots don't get in trouble. H- having having curly hair, I know deeply the trouble with knots. <laughs> As you go to like comb her hair, she she stops for a second. She goes, Juliet, you don't. You don't have to take care of me. I can... And she kind of stops mid-sentence. You are a highly capable woman, and I definitely think that you could manage to brush your own hair if you wanted. But I thought, back a long time ago, my mama used to do this for me. And uh, I ain't saying I'm your mama, but uh, I do know that it's comforting. And sometimes... You just need somebody to do you a kindness. So let me do this for you. And if you want to talk it out, I'll listen. And if you just want to think about it, I'm just here. Things are hard. That's okay. She sits there as and like kind of like acquiesces to let you brush her hair. And she says, you know, I never knew my mother. She died giving birth to me. I lost my mama too. A little bit older. My father and Uncle Nate were all I had growing up. They were both kind to me, and they never let me see them cross with each other. I'm, it's just a shock to know that there was so much bad blood between the two of them. Had I known, I could have perhaps helped, been less of a flippant child. I can only imagine how much of a headache uh, I caused both of them while they were working, with their own, or working through their own business. Maybe you were right about me all along, Juliet. Maybe maybe I am just a, a privileged girl with too much time and too much money. I think it matters what you do with that time. I can't say if that's true or not, but I know you got a good heart. And uh, it's a, a parent's job, I suspect, to not show the troubles that they're shouldering for a their children. It's always hard, I think, to see your parents as people, especially when they're not around to talk through it. But um, they do it out of love. Ain't no two ways about it. She nods at that and uh, kind of sits there in silence, digesting everything that she's learned about her uncle today. As uh, as you comb her hair, and then uh, you both turn in for the evening, and that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest the RPG is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.